0: According to the California Department of Public Health, malnutrition has become a growing concern for older residents, with the number of deaths attributed to it more than doubling between 2018 and 2022. The COVID-19 pandemic has made it worse. This trend was accelerated with lockdowns and restricted access to healthy foods. The highest malnutrition death rates were among older residents in rural or semi-rural counties. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ruth Rieder. A recent study by Harvard University, the CDC, and the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials found that patients and doctors found telemedicine visits during the pandemic to be successful. However, the study also revealed that 80% of doctors preferred in-person visits, while 36% of patients wanted care delivered virtually in the future. Additionally, doctors were more concerned than patients about the quality of virtual care. These findings support previous research indicating that while telemedicine has been popular, doctors are still figuring out how it can be most useful. A new malaria vaccine developed by the University of Oxford and manufactured by the Serum Institute of India received its first regulatory approval from Ghana this week. The so-called R21 vaccine, which uses an adjuvant produced by Novavax, was shown to have 75% efficacy against severe malaria in young children in clinical trials in Africa. R21 is the second malaria vaccine to achieve licensure following GSK's Mosquirix which has a 30% efficacy rate. The three-dose vaccine was approved for use in children aged 5 to 36 months, who are the highest risk of death from malaria. Malaria is estimated to have killed nearly 620,000 people in 2021, most of them children. And Megan Wilson reports on the internal conflicts and disagreements growing within a major trade association for generic drugs, the Association for Accessible Medicine, which could weaken the organization's influence on government policies and regulations.
1: I'm well. Thanks so much for uh, chatting with me today. So generic drugs are really important
0: to Congress right now especially as we discuss reducing drug prices. However, according to your reporting, one of the biggest lobbying groups for generic drug manufacturers is having some trouble. And I wanted you to talk me through some of the challenges the overall generics industry is facing right now before we jump into talking about this lobbying group.
1: So, you know, as you mentioned, generics are sort of taking a a bigger spotlight of the drug pricing conversation simply because they are and can be a driver of lower-cost drugs. They make up more than 90% of all drugs used in the United States, but only something like 18% of all drug expenditures. So lawmakers are sort of starting to want to expand access to these generic drugs. However, they're also, you know, facing some setbacks. These companies operate on super slim margins. Because their products are so inexpensive, you know, sometimes it can be hard for them, you know, to make money, which can disincentivize, you know, production or investments. And they're so competitive with, One another. You know, we're seeing supply chain issues result in shortages of of crucial things, right? Like the generic version of children's Tylenol, antibiotics, the generic version of Adderall. The problems that the industry has sort of have a, a ripple effect on the healthcare landscape writ large. And as you've reported for this story,
0: one of the the biggest lobbying group that represents these generic manufacturers itself is sort of having its own trouble and some setbacks. Can you talk through what's going on there?
1: To be fair, I talked to a number of people, and it seems like because of some of these challenges with, you know, members having thin margins, a lot of them are based overseas, some of them only have a very small US presence. And so that can be challenging. And it's been challenging for the organization for a while. But it sort of started to come to a head, you know, last year and going into this year, former CEO Dan Leonard stepped down after tumultuous two years at the organization, people tell me offer members cuts to their dues to keep some from leaving. And that's resulted in kind of a a budget shortfall, which according to a lot of the people that I talked to with knowledge of the figures gives them Them, you know, the lowest sort of annual revenue to work with for many, many years. I think, you know, seven years. And these budget cuts have resulted in a projected annual revenue that's the lowest it's been in many years. And so, As a result, they've laid people off in crucial positions, you know, the head of their lobbying team, the head of their public affairs, the person who handled international and trade issues. They did have some smaller members leave at the beginning of this year. And so they just have an uphill climb to face as they hopefully attempt to rebuild. And I think there are a lot of people in this town worried about how a lot of these changes and cuts may damage the influence and clout That the industry has, even if they have a great vision, like, are they under resourced to sort of capitalize on that and execute that?
0: There is an amazing baseball quote in your story that sort of like tries to sum up the whole situation. And so I would love it if you could talk
1: about what the golden sombrero is. I talked to you know a, a healthcare executive who's worked at you know trade, several trade associations. So really knowledgeable of this world. He said a golden sombrero is when somebody a player strikes out four times in a game. Not a great place to be in. He said that their golden sombrero is a dysfunctional board, no money, no staff, no agenda. So really, sort of brutal analysis of the situation that they're in right now. However, it's worth noting that I reached out to the organization and they broadly disputed this characterization. They say that their members are aligned, their board is aligned on their policy priorities and how they've decided to allocate their resources. And despite all of the changes that have happened over the last year and budget cuts, they say the organization is at an inflection point, but that it is being right-sized and everyone is where they need to be. So why does it
0: matter that the association for accessible medicines is having this difficulty
1: at the top of the interview you know we sort of talked about all the things the industry is trying to capitalize on in terms of expanding access to generic drugs and biosimilars as a way to lower healthcare spending and healthcare costs for consumers and patients and then we also talked about some of the challenges the generic and biosimilars industry has and you know it's important for the industry group to be strong just like it's important for any industry group or any trade association to be an effective advocate on behalf of their members, right? Like that's the role of a trade association is kind of take the bullet, you know, take the lead, but It's especially acute in this case because, like I mentioned, these members can be smaller, more medium-sized. Maybe some don't have large U.S. operations or, you know, may not fully understand the importance of investing in Washington. Only eight of its 23 members... Have any lobbyists in Washington at all, either that work directly for the company or they contract with outside firms. And three others in the last couple of years, I found by looking through lobbying disclosures have actually like gotten rid of their, any lobbyists that they may have had. And so if this generics trade association isn't a strong advocate, a lot of these companies don't really have anyone and may not have the resources to, you know, hire independent consultants on their own. Got it. So
0: basically, reducing drug costs is a priority issue for Congress, right? We've heard a lot about it. But then the generics industry is very challenged because they operate on such thin margins. On top of that, or rather because of that, it sounds like it makes it really hard for them to run a lobbying apparatus so that they can
1: get laws passed that would help support their industry. You know, that's exactly right. Right. The low margins, you know, maybe not fully understanding the importance of investing in Washington, the extreme competition. And sometimes even if all of these companies are in a room together, even if it's, you know, to do something innocuous like creating a a branding campaign, there can be antitrust concerns there. And so I, I think that there is you know, an uphill battle to get some of these companies maybe to get along sometimes. You know, a lot of times they may be focused on their own priorities, their commercial interests. And so some folks have told me that at certain times they may not be as collaborative or, or easy to align on certain things. Does it
0: seem like from your conversations that there is any hope for sort of getting their efforts together or maybe is there an issue that could unite them?
1: I do think that Congress's focus on drug pricing, a renewed focus, a continued focus on drug pricing. You know, you have several committees looking at generics legislation. You know, Senate Help Committee, which is run by Bernie Sanders, is really focused on this issue. AAM is still in the mix. You know, its interim CEO recently had a closed door meeting, I reported yesterday, with lawmakers in the Senate as they put together this package related to pharmacy benefit managers and and generic and biosimilar drugs. So they're still in the mix right now. But I think it remains to be seen whether these hits they've been taking, they can really dig out of the place where they find themselves in right now.
0: Well, it sounds really tough. Thank you so much for walking us through this.
1: Absolutely. I'm happy to come back anytime. And that's our show. Our
0: music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah and Annie Rees are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ruth Reader. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.